All right, so uh, I want to welcome uh, our internet audience. This is the first time that we're doing this, and we're so pleased to have you here along with here. We have probably near 200 guys from almost every church in Naples, uh, and this is a non-denominational Bible study that's been going on for about 12 years, and we're glad you're a part of it. Uh, and so we're studying today uh, the continuing discussion of evangelism by Jesus. How did Jesus evangelize? How did Jesus carry the gospel? Because if we study how Jesus did it, there are so many profound lessons for us in terms of understanding how he wants us to do this. Um, and today we're going to study uh, the faith of the centurion. Here's a man, a centurion, uh, a Roman soldier, uh, who had, came to faith, began to understand what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. And then through that began to understand who Jesus was. And so we're going to see how Jesus uh, meets the needs of a Gentile. So we know that Jesus came primarily for the Jewish people. But then as his ministry morphed, uh, he began to reach out to the Gentile world. And this is an example of this. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 8, verse 5, we will study this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. What an incredible, what an incredible uh, message. What an incredible story about faith. Uh, about the faith of this humble man who had such great faith that he didn't want to make Jesus come to his house because he wasn't worthy to have Jesus at his house. Uh, and, and you understand how God looks at humility. And by the way, one of the things I want to bring to your attention there is Jesus speaks about hell. Oh, yeah. Jesus speaks about hell. You know, I hear a lot of these uh, preachers today from some of these modernist churches who have now come to the decision that really, well, you know, there really is no such thing as hell. Uh, and all I can tell you is if you study the New Testament, no one spoke more about hell than Jesus Christ. All right. So make no mistake. That's the devil's lie. He'd like nothing better than, than to get you to uh, understand that. Now, there's another passage in the Gospels that speaks about this man. And I want you to turn to that as well, because we learned something else about it. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. 
There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to him, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, turning to the crowd, following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and find, found the servant well. What a story, again, repeated in there. So we see this encounter with a Gentile. We see this man. This is not a Jew. Uh, this is a guy uh, who was a Gentile who has come to faith through the Jewish people. Uh, and, and what do we learn about this military man? Well, we are told, first of all, that this man cared deeply for his servant. Uh, he's not a typical master of the day, uh, but a man who regards with great affection and responsibility the people he has under him. Now, the lesson here for you is this. Do not pre-designate people you come in front of. Just because somebody is not in your group, may not be a part of your denomination, may not even call themselves necessarily a Christian, but someone has good characteristics, seems to be moral, God is putting these kind of people in front of us so that we can impact them in a positive way. I don't want you to prejudge people because here's an example where if we came across a centurion during that period of time, we would say, oh gosh, this guy's a centurion. He's a soldier. Uh, he represents Caesar. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And yet you see this man was a repository of faith that God was using this man. And so there's a lesson here for us, even as we impact the kingdom. Uh, he is highly respected, even loved by the Jews. Can you imagine that the Jewish community loved this man? That's how, that's how good this man was. And in fact, that he had helped to build the synagogue. He had given money and his time towards the synagogue, so much so that the Jewish elders approached Jesus. Isn't that unusual? Don't you find that amazing? Jewish elders coming to Jesus in order to get Jesus to go and heal the centurion's servant. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something, that uh, when you study the New Testament, you will find that many Pharisees came to faith uh, through Jesus, many of them. Uh, so even though we, we kind of catalog the entire Jewish community as being against Jesus, that's not true. Many, many came to faith. And so here we see a remarkable group of people coming to Jesus and asking him, to heal this man's service, servant because they believe that he is deserving of Jesus' care and their beliefs. He is a righteous Gentile, and there's a very good example that I can give you that this strikes my heart, and that's uh, Oscar Schindler during World War II. There was a man who was a, a righteous Gentile. You know, if you had known Oscar Schindler, you wouldn't have thought Oscar Schindler was a particularly religious man. He really was not a religious man. Uh, uh, and in fact, he, he led kind of a, a riotous lifestyle. Uh, 
Uh, he really was not any uh, devout denominationalist in any way. But God used this man because he was effectively a righteous man in his heart, and God used him to save thousands of Jews from death in the gas chamber. Uh, and if you ever get a chance to, re to read that book, I would commend the book to you as well as the movie. Uh, remarkable, remarkable man. And this is a similar example of God using a Gentile in this way. And so the Gentile says here the centurion had become a God-fearer, meaning one who worships the God of Israel. Not only that, but apparently he understands that salvation is from the Jews. How about that? Salvation is from the Jews, just like Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. Salvation is from the Jews. Understand that. And so we, we understand that, that the history of what we have, the history of our New Testament covenant, all comes first from the Old Testament. There is no separate Bible. There's no Old Testament and New Testament. There's one Bible. It begins in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. Uh, and everything that we have, all of the promises, all of the covenants, all of the prophecies relating to the Messiah, all come first from the Old Testament. The problem is that Jesus had prepared and God had prepared the world so that the Jews would step on stage as Jesus arrived and would become the world's evangelist. That's what this was supposed to be about. The Jews were supposed to be the carriers, the gospel carriers. And instead, when Jesus stepped on the stage, they walked off. Uh, and, and so we know that sad story. Uh, but, but you see here, this man understood it. This Gentile understood it and understood the power and authority of Jesus. Uh, one of the things that we study is that as Jesus went into that area, uh, he, he went into the synagogue in Capernaum, uh, and the synagogue has been discovered and excavated even to this day. Uh, and on the lintel and doorpost, there are engravings in that lint post, in that lintels uh, on that synagogue of a stone pot of manna and of vines of fruit. And Jesus, when he went into that area, actually spoke uh, about the, the fruit, the real fruit. Uh, and people believe that he saw that there and used that as the pretext for his message. And so uh, it's important to study these things because it gives you a further foundation of your faith. And so the centurion has a deep personal humility. There's not a single example that I can give you in Scripture, guys, of God using a proud an arrogant man. None. And so if you're wondering why God may not be using you, I'd ask you to have, take some introspection and look at yourself. Look in your heart. Is, have, have you really humbled yourself before God? Have you really said, God, whatever I have, whatever I've accomplished, it's you. It's not me. Whatever gifts I have, it's you. It's not me. Or instead you say in the privacy of your home as you look in the mirror, oh, yeah. Oh. God, I'm so grateful that I'm part of your army because I'm a good man. I'm a good man. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm a good friend. Or instead, do you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, Lord. Help me. Help me. Strengthen me. Show me my weaknesses. Show me where I need to grow. And that's the, that's the prayer of a godly man, asking God, where are my weaknesses? Lord, where do you want me to grow? What can I do to, to walk closer uh, to the cross. Uh, and so this is an important part. And so here, this man's humility was so great and so profound that the Jewish community 
saw it and they were touched by it. You see how we preach with our lives? His humility preached to him, preached to the group of Jews that this man was a godly man. Now, this man is so godly that he understands what it is about a Jew that a Jew cannot go into the house of a Gentile. Turn to Acts chapter 10. And you know this was the issue with Peter. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. With Cornelius, and you know that Peter uh, was being directed to go to the house of Cornelius, uh, another Roman soldier, centurion, uh, who wanted to come to faith. And Peter was not uh, interested in going to his house because he recognized that under Jewish laws, it was a sin for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile. And only when God in a vision presented three times to them that whatever God has created is, is clean and not unclean, uh, Peter finally came to that rec uh, rec uh, recognition. Look at Acts 10, verse 28. Uh, well, we'll start with 27. Talking with him, this is Peter now talking with him, uh, Cornelius. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a, a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. I should not call any man impure or unclean. That is part of the foundational part of the lesson today. You do not have the authority to prejudge somebody and to say to somebody, I can't go to them. I can't speak to them. I can't bring the gospel to them. They're not worthy to hear the gospel. Let me tell you something. Who made you worthy to be saved? When did worthiness come into your heart? Or was it rather the recognition of, Father, I'm lost. I need a Savior. It's only at that moment when we bow before the cross of God and we recognize that we are lost and that we need a Savior. It's not about worthiness. You were never saved because you were righteous. You were saved because you recognized you were lost and that without the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you would be lost forever. And so God is speaking to us today about this, even in this lesson about this gentleman, this Gentile. Yes, he, he was, he was a, a righteous man, uh, but, but the Jews would normally have declared him unclean. He's unclean. You can't go to his house. You can't do it. Uh, and even the, the, the uh, Gentile himself, the centurion, was sensitive to that, to that. He didn't want to put Jesus in a tough spot. He recognized who Jesus was. And he said his faith was so great that he recognized that Jesus did not have to physically enter his house, that Jesus could heal him from afar. This is something even the, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, found difficult to believe. Uh, and so we see this. And so what, what overwhelms me here in this story is the fact of personal humility. Uh, more than anything, the, the act of personal humility rises to the top here and speaks to me. It speaks to me how God healed this man's uh, servant. God reached out to this man because this man humbled himself before God. This was not merely just asking for a favor. This was somebody who had humbled himself before God. I want you to, to turn to James chapter 4, if you would, please, on this subject. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. 
That is why scripture said God opposes the, pr the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, and that's a citation from Proverbs chapter 3. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You understand that. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. God opposes the proud. If many of you are wondering why you don't necessarily see the power of God in your life, I would say to you, take a trip to your heart. Take a trip to your heart. Have you really submitted your life to God? Have you turned your life over to God? Have you humbled yourself to God? Or you like what many people do is they pray and they, they, they'll speak to God, but that there's a compartment. There's a compartment, a certain part of us in which we say, mm, that's my thing. That's my thing. I know best about that thing. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's personal relationships. Whatever it is, it's some little closet in your life that you have not truly turned over to God. And, and I'm going to tell you something. This, this becomes a disease. It affects your relationship with your wife. It affects your relationship with your kids. It, it uh, affects your relationship with people in church. And so you don't have to answer to me, but I ask you, have you really humbled yourself before God in every aspect of your life? Have you gotten to the point in your life that before you do anything, you bow first to God and pray? Lord, what should I do? What steps should I take? Where should I go? Who should I be with? How do you want me to handle this issue? Do you do that? Or instead, do you do your own thing and then ask God to rubber stamp it later? Right? You go and do something, then you make a mess of it. Then you go back and pray God to fix it. When in fact, had you gone and, and humbled yourself to start with and spoken to him about it, it never would have happened. And so you see this lesson of humility from this man. And so this man understands the nature of authority. Uh, he believes that Jesus does not need to come in person to heal his, ser his servant. He only needs to say the word. And what a recognition of the power of God. God doesn't need to personally come into your house. We pray to God. He can go around the world and touch people around the world. You understand? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. The devil is not, but God is. And so when we pray to God and we humble ourselves to God, he can do anything we ask if it's within his will. And we bow in humility to him to make certain that our requests align themselves to his will. And so here he recognized Jesus had the power to heal. Uh, and, and so Jesus is astonished by the strength of this man's faith. Jesus cannot believe it. Uh, he has great respect for him. And so right in front of the whole crowd, Jesus heals this man's servant without coming into this man's house. Um, and, and so what a great lesson it is. Jesus says here, this man has greater faith than any Israelite he has ever met. Now, this is a pretty high phrase coming from Jesus because there have been many people that Jesus met that had, that had great faith. Uh, and, but here is a man who has not seen and yet believes. He has not seen the power of Jesus. He does not believe that Jesus needs to go home into his house, and yet he believes. Now, think about this. Jesus said this man has greater faith than any Israelite he sees. He may, that's including his disciples. 
And so the apostles who were walking with Jesus did not have that same degree of faith. Now, secondly, in this passage, Jesus challenges all of the Jewish people. He said, you respect this man, and so you should. But for he is an example of just an early example of the faith of many other Gentiles who will enter the kingdom of God as he has done. And Jesus looks forward to the day of the coming of the Gentiles to the kingdom of God. Now, God has repeated over and over again that the original promise he made to Abraham that he would make Abraham and his descendants a blessing to all nations of the world would come true. And I want, I want you to, to uh, cite that. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22, because this is another powerful example of the promises of God coming true. How do, we as, how do we as Gentiles wind up being saved? How does God morph from the Jewish people to us? All those covenantal promises that were made to the Jewish people. How now have those covenantal promises come to us? Turn to Genesis 22, verse 15. And so now, uh, here, here we have uh, God, an angel, probably a Christophany, speaking to Abraham right at the moment he is to sacrifice his son Isaac. And in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through their offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Please underline the last section of that sentence. All nations on earth will be blessed by your offspring. Now, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about the fact that uh, the Jewish community would give rise to great scientists, great thinkers, great philosophers, uh, great physicians? Yes, we give a court to that, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is that the Messiah himself would come from the descendants of Abraham. Jesus himself would come from the Jewish tribe. And Jesus would impact the world. He would be an, a blessing for the entire world. And so look at this passage. Look at how God honors the humility of a man. Abraham humbled himself, even though he waited in a lifetime to be given a son. He's now 100 years old plus. And now God says, I want that son. I want you to sacrifice. And Abraham humbles himself. Lord, if this is what you want, I will do it. And so God elevates Abraham. Uh, and, and it's interesting in this passage because he says here is because you have given up your son, your only son. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think God uses extra words? Do you think there's a literary event here that he, he, had, a, he had to remind Abraham it's your only son? I only got one kid. He's a boy. That's right. Your son, your only son. And effectively, what you see is a foreshadowing of Jesus. You understand? God is speaking here, foreshadowing the coming of Jesus Christ. Just like you gave up your only son, I will give up my only son. Uh, and you're, uh, you, because of your only son, I'm elevating you. Because of my only son, he will bring faith to the world. He will save the world. And so what a great example of this. I want you also to turn to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49, 
verse 6. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. All right? He's saying to the Jewish people, one of you will come and from you that one person will be an authority that will bless the world, who will bring the salvation of God to the world. And so here's the point. Jesus is making the point, speaking to the Jewish community. This man's faith is greater than all the faith that I've seen in all of Israel. All of your messages in the temple, all of your Bible studies, all of your self-righteous sayings, none of it approaches the faith of this Gentile. God sees the heart. And he's speaking to us today about the heart. You understand it? Don't tell me how many times you go to church. Don't tell me how many times you go to Bible study. Tell me about your heart. Tell me about your humility. Tell me about your love of God. Tell me about your love for the lost in this world. Now, do you, would you, in a similar situation, would you find somebody who's not part of your regular group? Would you reach out to them? Or would you say, oh, they're not really, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't go to church. I, I like best, I'm good with people in my church. I'm good with people in my church. Yes, that's right. You're good with people in your church, and that's good that you're people in your, in your church. But here's the thing. God has called you to break the holy huddle and go to the line of scrimmage. And the problem for a lot of us is that we've spent all of our lives, some of us into our 80s, and all we do is huddle up. What do I call huddling up? Here's huddling up. We go to church on Sunday. We get involved in committee work. We, we, you know, we see our pals. We shake hands. We put some money in the basket, and we go out for pancakes afterwards. And the week goes by. Nothing changes. Our lives haven't changed in one iota, and Sunday we're back again. Repeating. That's huddling up. All right? You're getting all this good stuff, all the good sermons, all the good vibes from church. But you never break the line of scrimmage. And God is calling you today. I want to impress this on you. Now, every single one of you has a responsibility to go out and impact the kingdom of God. Jesus and God put this on the Jewish inhabitants. That was their responsibility, and they failed. Israel failed. Jesus walks on stage left. They walk off stage right. They failed, and so you don't want to do that. And so you see this man, what an example this man is in terms of his humility and faith. Third, Jesus now in this message is comforting the Gentiles listening to him. His words would have been enormously encouraging to any Gentile who was present in the crowd. Imagine them speaking to each other. Imagine being in that crowd and being a Gentile and hearing Jesus speak about one of their own. Oh. I never thought God would love us. I never thought we would have a place in the kingdom. I never thought we'd be a part of the feast of the lamb. Listen what that Jesus has just said. He is extolling us. He is saying that we can be part of the kingdom. He is saying we can be saved. 
He is saying that we can be saved just like the Jews are saved. He is not separating us from the Jewish community. Jesus is indicating that all those promises that relate to Israel will now relate to us as well, that we will be saved. What a great message this is. What a great message of hope. Imagine how you would feel there that day. You walking around thinking you'd never be part of the kingdom of God, uh, that you would never have a chance to be part of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet now you know you'll sit there at the same table next to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joe. You got that? I mean, think about how great this is that God is making this promise. This is from the mouth of God. This is from the mouth of God. And that's why I want to tell you, that's why John 3.16 is so critical. It had, sets up no parameters. There are no limitations. Whosoever believes, whosoever believes will be saved. Whosoever. What a great story this is. And you see Jesus acknowledging this in the most powerful, profound way. So even though they couldn't even get in into the temple, you know how this is. This is awful. When you study the way the temple was set up, there would be a court of the Gentiles. What's the court of the Gentiles? Well, that's that area outside, kind of fenced off. That's where you guys, I'm pointing to you. That's where you guys will go. Outside. You'll never get inside. Because you're unclean, you're unwashed, you're not saved, you're not like us. God has separated you out. Really? Seems to me that Jesus just broke the wall right down. There's your, there's your court of the Gentiles. And we know that later on the cross, that we know that the curtain between the Holy of Holies would be ripped in half. No longer would anybody be kept out of the Holy of Holies. Not only would the court of the Gentiles be walked down, but in the middle of the temple itself, in the Holy of Holies, that one area where only the high priest himself on that one day of the year could walk in, that would be ripped as well. Because Jesus did it. Because now you would go directly to the throne of grace. You would speak directly to God through Jesus Christ. What an incredible message this is about this man. Jesus telling you how the Gentiles now have been elevated. How Jesus looked at, at the Gentiles. And now fourth, Jesus confronts the Jews listening to him. Uh, and he's confronting them and he's advising them that you cannot presume that simply because you were born as a Jew, you will be part of the coming kingdom of God. All right, let me translate that for you guys to the way you could understand it. Just because grandpa was a Presbyterian and an elder, and your father was a deacon, doesn't mean that you're going to travel on their passport. Am I right? Well, I come from a great line of Roman Catholics, and I'm, I'm part of the church. I go every week. That's great. But the fact that you go to church every week is not going to mean that you're going to come into the kingdom of God. Here they were, Jews. Jews, part of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here they were, they're going to the synagogue and they're going to the temple. <clears throat> and yet, what does God say? None of that, none of that means that you're guaranteed for the coming kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, give me a recognition of the coming kingdom of God. Oh, let me understand what the coming kingdom of God, here's the coming kingdom of God. It surrounds us in every aspect of our life. It's here in this world. 
as we impact others. And then it'll be on the next world. And then it'll be when the new Jerusalem is brought back to this world and this world is recreated. It's all the kingdom of God. And what it means in order to have that passport is one simple thing. Humble yourself. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and change the way you view yourself in the world. So unless you share the faith of the Gentile and all of the other Gentile believers who will come to Jesus in the future, you will be thrown out of the kingdom and you will experience the judgment of God and not his blessing. I don't want to hear this story. I don't like this part of the story. It was really good, John, until you got to the end. Why do you always have to put an end on it? Well, because it's not my ending. Hey, listen, I love a good campfire. I love marshmallows. I love kumbaya. I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to embrace you and kiss you and say we're all, we're all going to God. After all, look, you're going to church. Uh, you're a respectful, respectable person. You're a righteous person. You're a good father. You're a good husband. Okay, maybe you don't accept my Jesus, but you have your own way of looking at things. Look, God made it perfectly clear. Read John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said it, period. There's not an iota to be added. No one comes to the Father except through me. Somebody told me they were at a restaurant the other night and they heard someone in another table mocking that. Mocking that. Uh, and saying how disgraceful we born-again Christians are. But losers we are that we have that self-sanctimonious view of ourselves. Self-sanctimonious view, it's anything but self-sanctimonious. It's the most humble statement of all that I can't do a thing for myself to get to heaven other than bow in humility to Christ and accept him as my Lord and Savior. Here's the thing, when people say that to you, what you need to say back, those are not my words, they're the words of my Lord. You didn't write the Bible. You didn't write those words. Those aren't your opinions. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, Lord. Oh, Father. Let's understand something. So it's great. You have a great religious background. You have a great family. Your family has spent much of their life in church work and church activities. But the question I ask for you is, have you truly humbled yourself? God? Are you going to the line of scrimmage now? Are you impacting the world? Are you impacting people like this? Are you seeing people that need to hear about Jesus and speaking to them about Jesus? Because you see that there is a day when we will come face to face with the Lord and he will ask us those questions. Uh, and so this conviction about the necessity of repentance and faith in Christ and understanding judgment goes against the spirit of the age. You understand what the spirit of the age is? Oh, everybody should be able to do their own thing, right? Everybody should be able to do their own thing. Why do you have to prejudge somebody's views? You know, we know that there are good Hindus. Yes, there are. And there are good Buddhists. Yes, there are. And there are good Muslims. Yes, there are some good Muslims. I'm not just saying that they're not, but here's the bottom line. No matter how good you think you are, you are defining good by the nature of humanity. That's the dictionary that you are using. And that dictionary has of no consequence to God 
because your good is like filthy rags. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Your good is like filthy rags. And so when you stop equating your good based on the word's analysis of good and instead start understanding the celestial dictionary, God's dictionary, in which not one sin can come before the presence of God. And we know this. We know this from the, the surveys that are done by Barna and Gallup, that, that more than half of the Americans today, more than half of the Americans today believe this, that you do not have to believe in Jesus to come to God. Uh, and so they, again, this is an example of lack of humility. Because if you were truly humble and you read this and you ask God to touch your heart, God will touch your heart. God will speak to your heart. He will tell you what this means. And he surely did it in the case of this Gentile man. And so we are reminded again in this message, we are reminded again that the gospel is for all people and all nations for all time. All groups of people, all cultures of all kinds, all categories of classification. There is no way we can separate ourselves from any other race or culture or personage. We cannot do it. Just as, just as you saw in this example here, where the centurion, here he is, the leader of Roman soldiers, could not be separated from the kingdom of God, so too God is speaking to us today. And so we're challenged in this story to put away your prejudices, to stop being prejudiced, to stop setting up walls, and to say that there's only certain people that you feel comfortable with. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you don't feel comfortable with homeless people. All right? I'm sorry that you don't feel comfortable with prisoners. I'm sorry that you don't feel comfortable with the unwashed. Get, well, guess what, folks? Get comfortable. Because God wants you to get comfortable. God is telling you that just as you see this Gentile, that God is preparing a group of people from, from outside of the normal traditional norms that God will be calling greatly. And so we have this, this responsibility to do this as well as we see this lesson with, with this great Gentile. Uh, and so this is such an important lesson in so many ways as God is speaking to us. And so we are sobered, really, we are sobered and challenged here by Jesus' clear teaching on hell. Jesus is very clear here. I make no mistake about it. We should notice the setting in which he does this is one of spiritual pride uh, and self-righteousness. How about that? He did, Jesus really didn't, didn't speak about the nature of hell to people who were committing gross sins. He were, these were seemingly religious people. He's speaking to Jews. They observe the Sabbath. They're going to the temple. They give tithes to the temple. They're following the law of Moses. But guess what? You could follow the law of Moses until the cows come home. But if your heart is not right, if your heart is not right, God sees your heart. And that's what God is speaking about here. And so here, Jesus is speaking about the sin of spiritual pride and self-righteousness. Folks, I'm going to break this to you. There may not be any greater sin than spiritual pride. There may not be any greater sin than spiritual pride and self-righteousness. That's ultimately what sank Satan. Why do you think Lucifer was thrown out of, out of heaven? It was pride. And so this issue of, of, of self-righteousness and, and pride for ourselves is God spews it out of his mouth 
He wants nothing about it. So instead of elevating ourselves and looking at ourselves and taking pride in ourselves, we want to constantly bow and say, Lord, I am nothing without you. Whatever you've given me, whatever you've called me, Lord, it's because I bow to you. I want to be you. And this is a terrible warning to those who see themselves as the people of God. Can you imagine the warning that this was that Jesus gave to them? You'll be thrown out of the kingdom. Well, what sins do we commit? You know, your sin, you committed a big one. Spiritual pride, a lack of humility. Uh, and his, his purpose here is in warning them uh, to get them to humble themselves. Uh, his desire is to teach him to have the lowly humility of the Gentile who did not consider himself worthy to have Christ come enter his home in order to heal his, ser his servant. He did not presume on Jesus. He understood that Jesus was so far above where he was and that he could not allow Jesus to come into his home, that he was not worthy of this. And so he bows himself. So we have to ask ourselves today, really ask yourself today as we come to a close in this lesson, when is it appropriate to warn other people about this kind of life? What kind of responsibility do we have to let people know that, you know, merely going to church, merely sitting in that pew, merely following the dictates of your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents may not be enough, may not be enough, because God looks at your heart. He looks at your heart. He sees the essence of who you are and what you are, and you are you truly advancing the kingdom of God. Are you truly humble before God? Have you put your face in the dirt? Have you recognized that but for the intervening grace of Jesus Christ, you would be lost forever? And instead, you see this Gentile who recognized all of that, all of that, all of that, and now is seated at the banquet table of Jesus Christ. He's a Gentile, folks, just like you. And someday, good Lord willing, we'll be there too. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the words that you have given us. Lord, I thank you for the love of these men to come out week after week. Bless them and protect them. Let this message resonate in their heart and help them to grow and get closer to you. Lord, let us be mindful of this lesson of the, of the centurion. Let us be mindful of the fact of humility and how you look at self-centeredness and pride. And Lord, help us, help us day by day to walk closer to the cross in humility. We put, bring us back next week, Lord, not in this next week, but the week following. Bless all of us and protect us. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.